What's up everyone? Welcome to another episode of the Tier 1 Podcast. Today on the show I was joined by Professor Morgan Perkins, who is a black belt under the legendary Pedro Sauer, same as Jeff, if uh, you've listened to our podcasts together, we've done like, Jeff and two now, uh, one was with Lewis. Morgan's a really cool guy, uh, he's taught me a lot of jiu-jitsu in the uh, two months I spent training with him at Bangkok Fight Lab. And it was really a pleasure to be able to sit down and pick his brain for an hour or so. Um, and I think that day he'd, he trained uh, about seven hours, I think he mentioned. Um, it was right at the end of the day, so it was really nice of him to find the time because we did it very last minute. Hope you guys enjoy the show. Uh, if you want to head over to iTunes or Spotify to subscribe, or you want to leave us a review, all the links will be in the description. Also write a blog post to go with uh, each episode, so if you haven't checked those out yet, you can head over to the website. That'll be in the description as well. And without any further ado, here's Morgan. Cool. Morgan, welcome to the show. Thanks to you. Oh, thank you for coming on because I know it wasn't yeah, That's <laughs> the, right. yeah, the most thing you were too excited about. But No, it's uh, all right. I'd like to help you out. And this is your last night here, right? It is. So yeah, um, cheers. Thank you very much for having me these last two months. Um, thank you very much for all the great coaching and and mainly for being just so welcoming, you know. Like, yeah, man. I was very nervous to to, to be honest, like come to somewhere new and yeah. Um, well, yeah. you you've been a great addition to the gym, and you're always welcome back here anytime. And um, you know, I know you've been putting a lot of effort into your training while you've been here. Been drilling a lot by yourself in the morning, mm. training twice a day. Um, so I I think you've put in a lot, and I hope you've got a lot out of it while you've been here. Yeah, definitely. I think uh, I only just got my blue belt literally like a few days before I came out, like, okay. <laughs> and then I was like, right, I got to double down my efforts like, <laughs> right. because it's no. a it's a new pool to go into, isn't it? So, sure. Yeah, you show yeah. up as as a fresh blue belt. No one yeah. no one knows how long you've been training, or you know, I don't think you were telling people that you were a fresh blue when you arrived. No, you know. So so guys are gonna use that to kind of test their own definitely. test where they're at. You know. Yeah, yeah. So you probably had some hard rolls while you were here <laughs> yeah so it'll be fun that everyone's been every nice knows uh taking too much advantage just to smash yeah, it no, i think guys are cool yeah guys are pretty cool so yeah that's good what uh yeah did you start doing jiu-jitsu 95 wow 1995 wow, that's right. the year i was born <laughs> yeah you're making me feel old now <laughs> yeah i was 15 and what, um, was, was jiu-jitsu quite big where you're from um it is now mm. It is now. So wait, you're from Utah, right? I'm from Utah, yeah. Salt Lake City. And when when I started training, I, I was the the 163rd registered student of Pedro Sauer's. Oh wow! So, so right at the beginning. Yeah, much. I mean, it, it seems like that seems like a lot, but but now the numbers are up in, in into the thousands. Yeah, you know. Um, but when I started, so I, I was a kid in ninth grade, and and you know. I uh, I had my mom take me to the to the academy because I was too afraid to go in there by myself. She actually drove me there, and and then I asked her to come in with me. And then when we went in there, there was just a bunch of like just really tough guys. It wasn't like it is now where there's you know like set like what is Joe Rogan call it nerd assassins, right? Right? Yeah. There were no nerd assassins back then. <laughs> they were just all like big guys, tough guys smashers and then that was kind of the environment that i found myself in when i started how did you know about jiu-jitsu because it was like very early early like just post like ufc kind of. yeah it was 95 so i yeah. think it was uh i think ufc 4 had 
had already happened. And then when I was, I can't remember how old I was when, when UFC 5 came out. That was when Hoist fought Ken Shamrock for the second time. And, and they, they went to that that really long, uh, it was like a 35-minute fight. Okay, wow. And ended in a draw. Right. Um, so jujitsu was not very big when I started and, and, and I found out about it through a friend of mine who rode the, the same school bus with me, you know, and uh, we didn't live very far from each other. And he, he was a friend of mine on the school bus. His name's Todd Bagley, Todd Bagley. And, um, he was a martial artist as well. Um, he, he, he was, he was doing Kempo karate at the time. I'm not sure if he was a black belt or not, but he, he was pretty into it. And he had mentioned to me that there was this, this kind of new martial art, you know, and he, he didn't even know what it was called. He called it, I think Brazilian wrestling or, you know, something like that. And, and, um, I was intrigued, mm. you know, back when, when I was, uh, back when I was that age, I was, I was, uh, not a very sporty kid. I was bullied a lot, picked on. Um, I did not have a, a happy childhood from like the age of say 12 to 14. Right. It, it was not fun. Um, had you done any martial arts prior? Or? My mom had put me in karate, but it didn't stick. And it was kind of, it, it wasn't anything where I actually felt confident about protecting myself. Yeah. Right? But then I found out about the jiu-jitsu and, and um, what I'd done actually is rent the, the UFC. Oh, right. it, it was UFC two. So I went to Blockbuster Video <laughs> and you know, back when there was Blockbuster Video <laughs> and it was there, UFC two. UFC one was never out, it was crazy. Like I could never find UFC one in, uh, until later, but UFC two was, I watched it, saw Hoist Gracie smash everyone. And I was like, I have to, I have to do this, I have to do it. So I, I looked it up in the phone book, you know, there was no internet back then. <laughs> so I looked it up in the phone book and it was there. It was about a 30 minute drive from my house. And, and I had my mom take me there and it was inside of a gymnastics st studio, like a big gymnastics studio and inside of a warehouse. Right. And that was when I was introduced to the art started training and then just fell in love with it. And um, yeah, here I am now. So tell me about um, what it's like growing up in Utah. Like I've never even been to America. Like, is it um, a stereotypical kind of American um, state? Uh, what is it like? Um, well, if there's such a thing. I don't know if there's such a thing. Uh, America's a huge place. You know, there's different cultures in different parts of the country. Utah is is where the Mormons live, right? The, the uh, religious group. Type. That's right. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, and um, because of that, it, it's a very conservative, uh, politically conservative, uh, religious uh, place, right? Um, especially when I was growing up. Now the actual um, Salt Lake City itself is quite liberal. You know that there's a liberal mayor and. Whatnot, but but in, in the state itself, it's quite conservative, and the, the Mormon Church has a lot of power. Right? Okay. So there's restrictions on um, buying alcohol. You know, for example, you can't buy hard alcohol in any store. You have to buy in like a state in a state licensed liquor store. Okay. You know? like, um, 
and, and I'm sure there's other states that they do this too. I'm not sure how it is in the UK. I don't know if you can just go and buy alcohol anywhere. Or any, mm, yeah, any, I'm pretty any, sure. Any, yeah, any, any corner store or yeah. whatever. Right? Yeah, yeah. And what's like? Was it? Is it? Uh, what's like the terrain? Like, is it quite yeah, a mountainous place? Is it lakes? Man. What kind? Yeah, of? there's lakes. There's mountains. Mm. There's desert. There's um, there's red rock. There's just, I mean, in the winter, it's some of the best skiing in the entire world. Just uh-huh. incredible. Yeah. Um, in, in the summer, in the spring and summer and fall, just the outdoors are just amazing. The hiking in the summer is just incredible. Do you get a lot of outdoorsy type people? Oh, and, yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. That's why Salt Lake itself is very liberal right. because there, there's lots of tree huggers and hippies and, you know, all, all, all kinds of people mm. like that who settle down in Utah because it's such a beautiful place. Yeah. And it, and the, the quality of life is good. It's not as um, the, the the crime levels rates aren't as high as they are in, in other bigger cities. Yeah. Um, and the uh, it, it, it's, it's a nice place to raise a family. The Mormon mm. culture, even though it's kind of weird and religious in some ways, um, kind of lends itself to being a kind of family oriented place and community it's, it's a good place to raise a family for sure right did you have a big um family growing up no it's just me and my sister my okay. mom and dad yeah my dad was married uh well he's still alive my dad is married three times and my mom was the last one so they've been married for 40 years wow 40 years but i have a brother and a, a half brother and a half sister yeah from different marriages yeah. uh, my dad right and then there's me and my sister, and I'm I'm the oldest one of, of us. Is there much of an age gap between you and your sister? Two years. Do you guys fight a lot growing up, or was it pretty civil? Um, yeah, I mean, I, I wasn't like the nicest brother growing up. Mm. You know, I, I wasn't like, I have, you know, I, I could have been a lot better. Let's put it that way. Mm. And we don't talk a lot right now. Right. Right. And what what did you want to be when you were growing up? Like, did you have like a something in mind? When I was growing up uh, for a long time, as a kid, I wanted to be a blacksmith for some reason. Right. No, I wanted to be a veterinarian. <laughs> oh, really? Uh, 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 did you like, have I just pets animals. and stuff? Yeah. yeah, love animals, man. When I was a kid, I had dogs, turtles, rabbits, guinea pigs, hamsters. Oh, wow. You know. Everything. Lots of things. And, yeah. and, and when they died, I buried them all in, in my backyard. So mm. we have a little pet cemetery going on back there, <laughs> including Jeez. both of my dogs too, oh, both buried back there. Um, but yeah, I just, I just loved animals. I love watching nature shows. I love watching shows about animals. Um, just it was something that, that I really wanted to do when I was a kid. But of course, you know, as you get older, things Probably change. Is, yeah, yeah. You know, and I, and it, I didn't really. It was nothing that I pursued past like the age of say like twelve or thirteen. You know. Mm. Well, when I was training jujitsu, I kind of just wanted to do that. Yeah, you know, I, I I loved it so much. What were you like in school? Were you like, like a good kid? Did you get good grades and stuff? You quite study hard, or yeah, I, I I got pretty good grades. I mean, I wasn't a straight A student, but I I, I was like a I was like a B plus A minus student. Mm. You know, um, and I worked. I didn't work as hard as I could have. I mean, I I know what it takes to get good grades because I got good grades in college. But, um, you know, I like to socialize and hang out with my friends too. But, but I got I got good grades, um, you know, just not – I wasn't like a straight-A straight student right, or yeah, anything yeah. like that. I didn't, I didn't play any sports in, in school. 
Um, I was a horrible athlete, like just out of like I, I was out of shape until I started training jujitsu. Right. Fat, um, couldn't do a single pull up. Was was like literally the last picked for any sport for mm. any team sport that we would do in PE. People would be like looking, you know, like the, the kid with Down syndrome would get picked before me. I'd be the last one. I sucked. I was horrible. Mm. Um, and what what did your uh, mom and dad do while you were growing up? My dad was an attorney. He's retired now. He's like 83 years old. Um, but but he was an attorney. My mom was a stay-at-home mom for like the first 10 years. And, and then after that, she went to work for my dad for a little while. She was his secretary. And then after that, she got a job as a reservation agent for Southwest Airlines, which came in handy because I used to do a lot of competitions across the country and, right. uh, and I was able to fly for free. Nice. Right? So, so like my dad, or sometimes my mom, we would do like a whole family trip out of it or just my dad and I, we would fly oh, somewhere cool. and then I would compete and then we'd fly home. Yeah. Um, so that was, that was always nice. So your mom and dad sounds like they were pretty supportive of your jujitsu and oh, stuff. Yeah. yeah. They were very, they were supportive of everything that I did. You know, I mean, they were, you know, very loving caring parents mm. I, I never felt for a second that I wasn't loved or anything like that yeah. yeah sometimes it's weird like I got into martial arts at quite a young age and then sometimes you hear of um, friends saying oh yeah I would have liked to go into martial arts but my mum and dad didn't want me doing anything like violent and it, it's like it <laughs> it might seem like it's violent, uh, violent but it, in a way it's more about you know character development and, and, and learning things about your Self and going through adversity and learning and discipline and stuff like that. Yeah, and the I think martial arts are often like the least kind of violent people you meet, like, um, or at least like at least lightly to get into fights of a little, you know, oh, this guy knocked into me. <laughs> yeah, the more you train, the less you want to fight. Yeah, more. I mean, it, it could be because I mean, I used to joke with people when I was training really, really hard. Now, I mean, Jesus, I, I just did seven hours today. And then I talk about when I used to train hard, <laughs> but when I used to train hard, um, I was always sore. It's always like just really sore. And, and, and to even like get on the mat and train, I would have to like stretch out forever and get warm. And I would joke with people like, there's no way I could ever get into a street fight because I would have to like prepare for like 30 minutes <laughs> to like get ready to loosen up because I was always so, so sore. Um, so yeah, I mean, it didn't really, fighting wasn't really, when I first started training, that was all I cared about. I wanted to learn how to fight. Right. There wasn't, there wasn't like, I think when I first started, they had had some competitions in, in Southern California, but not very many. Mm. Um, and it really, you didn't really learn jujitsu at that time because you wanted to like learn how to score points in a comp. Right. It's because you yeah. wanted to fight. Yeah. You know, you wanted to learn how to defend yourself. For me, it was about that. Yeah. I was bullied a lot. I was mm. weak. I didn't know how to, to throw a punch and I couldn't throw a hard punch. Mm. So if I hit someone in the face, it would just piss him off and he'd yeah. beat the shit out of me. And back in 95, I'm guessing it is actually physical bullying, whereas like nowadays it's all just like such bullying over social media. Oh, yeah. Like, yeah. No, I mean, <laughs> people would like chase me home and like corner me in, in like backyards and mm. fucking like make me cry and shit. Yeah. It, it was horrible. Why do you think that, that was? Like just... It, kids are, are mean. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> because boys are mean. Yeah. Mean fuckers, man. And, yeah. and, and they'll pick on the weakest person they can find. Yeah. Right. Some will, you know, some will protect the weak. Yeah. Some will bully the weak, you know, and I was weak. I was afraid and weak, cowardly, whatever, you know, mm. 
Um, and I so badly wanted to like be able to, to like defend myself. Mm. So when I saw Hoist Gracie, did like be you know, and Hoist isn't a small man. You know, he's like six foot one or two. He's not a small man, but but he was smaller than all these guys he was fighting, and he's skinny and. Um, he was just killing everyone and I just was like man that is like that is what I need that is the answer to me being bullied and picked on and if I can just learn this it, it won't happen anymore mm. and that's actually what happened kind of seems like it came at like a really important time for you then yeah and so that, that was when I was in at the end of ninth grade which in, in the states is after ninth grade you go in well at least in Utah you go into high school um, in a in other states, high school starts in ninth grade. But for me, I, I was finishing junior high school in ninth grade and then going into high school in 10th grade. Right. In ninth, you know, like there's that kind of when you're the oldest kid in, in the class, yeah. you know, you get bullied less. Yeah. When you go back in 10th grade, you're the youngest kid yes. again. Yeah. And all the big guys are going to be smallish fish in the pond again. Around, right. Yeah. So that whole summer I trained and like, you know, true enough, jujitsu is real, right? So if, if you don't know what you're doing, you'll never tap someone out, right? And, and I was and I was a kid, so I didn't have any strength and I was training with, with grown men. I was like the only kid training at, at the time. Right. I, you know, later on, some of my friends from, from high school started training with me. But when I first started, it was just me getting smashed, beat up. Like guys made me cry on the mat, tapped me out hard and you know, and I kept coming back, man. Mm. Kept coming back. And I started developing a confidence, you know, I started and I started wearing anytime I would go out of town on a holiday with my parents, for example, like we would we'd go to Southern California a lot in the summer. I'd make them take me to a, like a, a jiu-jitsu academy. That's cool. so, so I made them take me to Fabio Santos school in San Diego yeah, in like 97. Yeah. I bought a t-shirt there. Dean Lister's coach, isn't it? Yes. Yeah. Well, it was originally. Yeah. 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 And then uh, and, and Jocko. And yeah, Jocko yeah. and Dean started with, with Fabio Santos. And... Um, and then I, uh, I also went to Hickson school, right? Mm. And then I, I had my parents take me to Hickson school, and I walked in by myself, and there was nobody there. It was just uh, Luis, Luis Lamau, right? Who, who was one of Hickson's like main instructors at, at, at the academy, who I, who, who actually was there when I got my black belt. So I met him when I was a white belt, and he was, he was there when I got my black belt. Uh -huh. Luis was nice. Um, so I bought a T-shirt there. I bought a Hickson T-shirt, a Fabio Santos T-shirt. I, I had a T-shirt from one of the competitions I did, I used to start, so I started wearing jujitsu t-shirts all the time. Yeah. And it just said like jujitsu or Gracie jujitsu or whatever, right? And I swear to God, man, no one ever fucked with me. Yeah. In, in high school, <laughs> ever. Did you get a lot of like questions, people like, what, what's yeah, great? Yeah, yeah, like, like a lot of the tough guys in school would be like, so you think the Gracie is the best? You know, mm -hmm. like some of the guys knew, right? And I'd be like, yeah, of course, because I didn't really know like much about it. You know, I, I was just, you know, in my mind, Hoist was the best. You know, no one can ever beat Hoist. Yeah. And like, if you, if you try to convince me otherwise, I would <laughs> no, I would shut you out. I wouldn't believe you. Um, so yeah, I mean, I, after I, after that, like, now I, I never started fights. So it wasn't like I was walking around trying to pick fights with people. I just, yeah. I didn't want to fight, but no one was coming up to me starting fights anymore. Right. Because I'm, I'm assuming they didn't want to find out. Do you think there's like a different, real. like, I mean, I don't know if it's the right word, but like aura or like air about you. But did you just see seem as like more confident? You think as well, or maybe? I mean, I I, I certainly felt more confident. I don't know if it was like a false confidence. 
but but certainly people who are bullies will always go to the path of least resistance mm. right the bullies don't want to don't want to fight a guy who's gonna who's gonna hurt him you know and and, and and when they found out that that morgan is doing this this martial art where they break bones which is what you thought like they break bones and they choke people like do i want to try you know no i'll go pick on this other fat kid who, who doesn't know jiu-jitsu right right so no one ever, no one ever fucked with me after that mm. and i and and like it wasn't that people were afraid of me there were tough guys who were like yeah i'll fight you sure but most of these guys were like you know like cool guys like all honorable guys who weren't yeah. out there picking on people right you know right and i never picked fights I, I never got into a fight i think the first fight i got into after i started training jujitsu was at was out of high school when i was like 19 years old that was the first street fight i mm. like real street fight and only street fight i've ever been in how did that come about um it was at a party it was at a halloween party and just some guys came in who were talking shit and then i was you know got all aggressive and fought one of these guys right turns out that the guy later on what was a ufc fighter josh berkman i don't know if, if you've ever heard of this guy <laughs> but but i i fought him in like 1999 in in salt lake city in the street and, and after a halloween party jeez and he was a lot bigger than me he actually won the fight but i did way better than i think i would have without it mm. right yeah you know, I mean, he didn't knock me out or anything, right? You know, but I did have a black eye after. Um, but after that, I was like, "Fuck fighting," you know, and I haven't been in a fight since. Yeah. Tell me about that um, first academy. Was it? Uh, was it straight to? Was it Pedro Sala straight away? Or oh yeah, yeah. What, Pe- what, what Pedro, was Pedro doing in Utah? I have no idea, to be honest with you. I I, I still I'd have to ask Alan. Uh, Alan is is a friend of mine who was one of Pedro's first students mm. and, and he used to live with Pedro. Um, I'm not exactly sure. I'm not sure if, if it's his wife who moves to Utah. I believe his wife's a woman. Could be wrong on this or his rather his ex-wife because he's remarried to a, to a, to a different woman now. Yeah. But I believe that she moved to Utah and, and, and he went with her, I think. Um, or actually, I think one of the other Mythologies is that is that Horian basically sent him to Utah, right? Because Pedro moved to Southern California with the with the Gracies, basically. Yeah. Was living in with Horian and mm-hmm. training with all the Gracies when they were still training together, and then they all kind of split off and kind of did their own things, started hating each other, right? Um, Pedro moved to Utah, I believe, in 1992, and then um, I started about three years after that, and. Yeah, it was just a different kind of place back then. Pedro trained with everybody. You know, he. I mean, Pedro is not a large man. He's a, he's a smaller man. Mm. And I saw him roll with every size of man imaginable. He never once was like, oh, you're too big. You know, some, some even this is what I do. Someone's like, you want to roll? I'm like, no, man, you're way too big. You know, or like, you know, and it's just because yeah, yeah. I don't want to get hurt. Yeah, yeah. Because I watched Pedro completely destroy his body, training right. with anyone who wanted, and he wouldn't turn down any comers you know mm. back then in order to be a black belt you basically had to like defend the family right so they weren't just giving black belts out like they are now right? yeah you had to be able to fight and defend it yeah and, and he pedro was man he was incredible he, he was my hero the first time i ever saw like the only person i ever saw beat him which i'm sure there were more people out there that could beat him but the first person i ever saw beat him was hickson 
Hickson came for a seminar in 97 and, and uh, Hickson rolled with him and just destroyed him. And it's just like one of those like eye, like eye-opening moments where you're like, man, Pedro is this good, but then Hickson just like do even, that. Yeah, Pedro's, even more levels yeah, to this thing. So, yeah. and, and is he quite like, did did he give like, is he quite a wise guy? Does he like, not as in wise guys and like, you know, as in, as in a wise person. Right. Did he give you a lot of advice, advice and talks and stuff? Or was it mainly just training? No, Pedro gives, gives good advice. You know, I, I wouldn't call him like a, like a sage or, or <laughs> anything like that. You know, his, his wisdom comes more through his, his technical knowledge and, and his abilities on the ground, his teaching abilities, which mm. are, I would say, second to none. He's one of, if not the best jiu-jitsu instructor in, on, in the world, for sure. Um, but, you know, I, I mean, I, I, I think of him as, as a mentor, for sure, but in, like, a different way. Right. You know what I mean? how, how big were the classes you were going to? Like, was there many people? Or? Yeah. Man, even back then, I remember looking back in some of the class photos, there'd be like 30 people. Oh, wow. You know? Yeah. But but out of all those people back then, in, like in, in, in one of these class photos, there's probably four people who still train. You know? Of course, they're black belts now. Yeah. You know? Um, and, you know, that, that was kind of the nature of the art. It was very, it was less technical oriented and more just like rolling and you know, fighting basically. Mm. Pedro didn't promote people very fast. Um, you know, he he, um, um, he he would promote the blue belt, but back in the day, it was very difficult to get a, a purple belt from him. And I had never seen a brown belt until there was this one guy, Alex Derizans, who came from, from Brazil, and he was the first brown belt I ever saw. Um, it, it was back then; it was very rare to see a, a, like even a purple belt. If you're like, whoa, right? This guy's a purple belt. Yeah. Like, oh my god! And now it's like, well, like purple belts would be open in schools, but then and stuff yes, like that. So for like, sure, yeah. blue belts would be. Yeah. You know, you get a blue belt and you'd go open a school because if you just knew how to do an armbar and a triangle, you could teach people. Right. Yeah. yeah. Did um? Well, you went. You say you went to college, did you? Yeah, so, I went to the University of Utah. Okay, so, so you kept. Bit, were you you were able to keep training them? So. I t- I've taken breaks in, in my training, right? The, the first break that I took was when I was about 18. So I trained for about three and a half years and then I stopped training for about three years. And I was, you know, I got up to no good. It was when I was still going to college too, but, but I was kind of hanging out with a bad crowd and partying and just right. wasn't really wasn't really my best, the, the best version of myself. Mm. Um, and then after that, I started training again from when I was about, say, 21 until 25. Trained really hard, competed a lot, went to the Munjaos in Brazil um, in 2003 when I was a purple belt. And then, I, I mean, I was just, I was working at a car wash. Uh, I, was, I, I was a laborer at a car wash and I was mm. just training. What what did you go to college for? Like, um, what did you study? Economics. Right. And then there came a point where I, I really had to, like, decide, like, I, I was kind of fucking around in school. My grades were not the best until I decided to really, like, focus. And then I started taking just an insane uh, course load. I was taking, like, 23 credits in, in a semester, just ridiculous. And, okay. and getting almost straight A's. 
Wow. You know, like I got a, I got like an A minus, and you know, and like a, I got like a B plus in calculus, I think. Um, and and at that point, I stopped training because I was just I was at school from like seven in the morning until like nine p.m. and I, that's all I was doing is studying. And, and I graduated. I got the rest of my credits out of the way, and I graduated. And then after I graduated, I moved here. And then that's it. And, and then that was in two thousand and six. So you're quite young. When, I was twenty six. Yeah, yeah. And when I when I moved here, I I um, went to to at the, at that time there were only two two academies in Bangkok. There was Emac, which is still an active gym, and, and there was Bangkok Fight Club, which actually is still an active gym, but not really like on in the scale that we have here. Neither of them were. Um, but so I. Uh, you know, I walked in, I was like the, the highest level guy, like the highest belt right when I walked in. Right. The, the, the owner, Alex, was like, do you want to teach? You say you're a, you're a purple belt at this time, was it? Oh. Yeah, yeah. I, I was a four-stripe purple. Well, let me step back. And in, in, in the States, before I, I came out here and while I was like in, in, in the process of working really hard towards getting my degree, I was supposed to test for my brown belt. Okay. And I did not show up for the exam. Well, I just didn't show up. I was like, because I wasn't training a lot. And I was like, I don't want to get my brown belt if I'm not training. Mm. I was like, I'm an idiot, man. Like, I'm going to show up in, a, in an academy with, with a fresh brown and I'm going to get my ass kicked because I haven't been training that much. Right. So I didn't show up for the test. And the guy I was supposed to test with, his name is Rob Lobai. He got super mad at me. He was, you know, he was a friend of mine. He was like so mad that I didn't show up. And I was just like, man, Pedro was mad too. And... I came here. So Alan mailed me my, my brown belt. <laughs> sent, sent, me this, <laughs> sent, sent, sent me this note. was like, you left this in Utah. Not getting out of this so one. I, so I sent it to you, you know, <laughs> with my certificate. So we were with my signed certificate and everything. Wow. Um, so I got my brown belt in the mail. Literally. <laughs> literally. They joke about uh, about that as, as some kind of like a dojo thing, but it that, that happened. Um, and then... I was coaching at Bangkok Fight Club for, I don't remember how long, maybe six months or a year. I, I was also one of the instructors at uh, Bangkok BJJ when that first opened in, mm. in Bangkok. And, and in about 2008, I stopped training. And, and, and I didn't train for six years. What happened? I, was, I just got caught up with life. I was, I was getting married. I had kids. I, was, I had a... a a big network of friends mm. and no one was into jujitsu in that network. They were all partying and I just kind of got caught up in it. You know, I, I right. was, I was building a, a business as well, selling insurance and jujitsu just kind of, just kind of fell, fell into the back burner, so to speak. And I didn't train for, you know, I, I might've trained twice in six years, you know, gained a lot of weight that that was when I gained like, like 20 kilos. Wow, yeah, I got up to 92, 92 kilos. Right mm. now, I'm like sixty-seven. You know, wow. I, like my natural weight is like between sixty-six and seventy. Yeah. So I was fat, and out of shape, and you know, finally, I just, you know, I was still like going to the forums. Do you know the underground, like mixedmartialarts.com? It was kind of like back in the day. It was one of the big forums that you would go to for jujitsu. Okay. I was on there all the time, man. Yeah, I knew I knew all who was winning every tournament. I knew all so, of the new guys, but I just wasn't training. The passion was still there. Though. Yeah, 
And then finally I, you know, and then I, like all the, the stereotypical things that people do not to train, I was doing. I was like, yeah, I'm going to go back once I get in better shape. You know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go to the gym first and get fit and then I'm going to go train. Mm. All, the, all the shit that people say that is just stupid. Yeah. You know, because no matter what happens when you go back, you're going to get your ass kicked. So right. I did. Finally, I, w- I went back as a brown and I, and I was just getting tapped out by, by blues, you know. Mm. But I knew that if, if I just kept training that I would surpass them, the majority of them very fast. Yeah. Yes. Just needs to kind of dust off the, the rust and stuff. Yes. Yeah. Timing. You know, getting the cardio back, flexibility, and sure enough, I was, I was able to get back to where I was before, and then, and mm. then go beyond that. So to bring you back there, like, had had you always planned to leave Utah straight after university, or I mean, what was your plan after university? Like, I didn't have a plan, so I, I had an opportunity to come here to go to Chula Longhorn University. Um, there were several Thai professors who were exchange professors who taught in the summer at, mm. at the University of Utah. And, and, and I took a class with, with one of them and, and they had mentioned that there was this international economics program taught in English in Thailand. And a good friend of mine at the time in college was like, dude, like, yeah, he, he had backpacked through Southeast Asia and he was like, man, you gotta go, you gotta go. And I was like, I was like yeah, man, this, this is it, I'm gonna do this. You know, and I talked to my parents about it and they were supportive. So I came, mm. you know, the plan was just to stay for a year and go back home, you know? Right. And then that was 13 years ago. And had you, had you decided on like a career path for you? Did you want to go into economics? Or yeah, like- I mean, I wanted to, but it wasn't realistic. Yeah. You know, I wanted to go into finance, but I was already too old, you know, and like I was 26 and, and most serious guys in finance, the, the path is like chosen for them when they're younger. Right. They get in like 21, yeah. you know, and I was already too old. It wasn't very realistic. Um, but shortly after I, I moved here, I met my wife, Lisa. And, um, so I just, she had a really strong network, her, a strong family connection and, uh, a lot of friends here and yeah. the, the condo on the beach and the, <laughs> you know, and you know, I was like, man, this is a nice place, you know, and I, yeah. I, I could see myself living here. Are there many parallels between, um, Thailand and, and Utah? Oh uh, no! I can't, th- I can't think of a single one, man. Really? They're they're very different. And to be honest with you, I, I would like to go back. Did you have a big uh, culture shock when you got here, or uh, was it kind of? Did you research enough to know? What it was like? Yeah, I knew what was what was happening. Right. So it wasn't like I was like, oh my god, I knew it, um, and I embraced it. Mm. I was like, whatever, you know. I was, I, I was open, open for everything, and willing to try everything, food, and you know. And yeah, it was fine. You know, I mean, I not that I think the culture's great here. I don't think it's that great. I think there's a lot wrong with it. Mm-hmm. But the same can be said in America. Yeah, as with pretty you much know, everywhere. Yeah, that's you know, but, but I'll be honest with you, I don't really feel, I've never felt like this was truly my home. Mm-hmm. I've never been made to feel like really welcomed by ties, I don't think. You know? right. And I think most foreigners kind of feel that way. Like right. you're never really treated as, as someone that could be thought of as a local. Okay. You're always like the foreigner. You're always a guest in the country. Mm, right. Even though I've been here for been here for like 13 years, man. Wow. I've been here for a long time. Yeah. So I would let, you know, like sometimes I look, I look out at the mats and I see just this packed class and I'm thinking to myself, 
could I just leave someone else in charge and then go up, open another academy somewhere, mm. maybe in the States or maybe somewhere else and just try to build something else too. Yeah. You know, because well, we have a good group of guys here. We have some good teachers, you know, that, that there's a potential that I could do that. Yeah. You know, if, if you were to go back to America, where's like, it's such a big place. Like, is there a place like where you're like, oh, yeah. the place to be is here? Yeah, somewhere in, in, in the in the West, in the Rocky Mountains. Okay. Right, I wouldn't go to California, but like potentially go back to Utah, mm. Idaho, uh, Wyoming, Colorado. These are all kind of in, in that Rocky Mountain range. Okay. Beautiful um, outdoors. Um, you quite like the mountains in general. Yeah, it? yeah. I, I just love getting out. Yeah. I don't particularly like being around lots of people. Mm. You know, I mean, in the... In the jiu-jitsu environment, the more the merrier. I love huge classes. I love being, I love coaching big classes. But I also would like to get away from people if I want. Yeah. And if you're here, that's not going to happen. Mm. Like, I, I can't imagine, like, the last time that I was able to just, like, not see someone, even at, like, 3 in the morning, you'll walk out. There'll be lights on. There'll be, you know. Whereas in Utah, you can drive 20 minutes away from my parents' house park your car and go for a hike you might you probably won't run into anyone all day mm. you know is it like one of those places where you know you can um go and then you like look up and there's like loads of stars at night and stuff yes like that. right absolutely man i mean not in salt lake itself because there's too many lights in the city mm. but if you go out into the mountains yeah heck yeah really. wow it's, yeah you see the whole milky way i'd love to i've never kind of it's one of those things i really want to see but i've never i've always lived in like sea so. cities yeah, yeah. yeah no man it's cities are good cities teach you a lot about how to like how to not let your guard down around strangers, mm. you know, like country folk are, are so trusting and, you know, like <laughs> there's a stereotype of like, you know, showing up to the big city and like getting scammed by right. everyone because you're, yeah. because you're so gullible and whatnot. But I prefer that. I, I, I prefer to be around those kind of people. Yeah. You know, people who are trusting and not mm. trying to screw you over. But, you know, the longer I stay here, the, hard, the longer you stay somewhere, the harder it is to leave. Of course, yeah. And, you know, the, the, older the, roots you, the, the older you get, the harder it is to leave. Yeah. Because it's harder to, like, see yourself starting afresh. Mm. Right? Um, so, who knows? Maybe, yeah. Maybe I'll be stuck here for the rest of my life. <laughs> well, tell me a bit about, um, you mentioned you were competing a lot when uh, you started competing quite early in jiu-jitsu. Yeah, hard, like... I mean, I, I, look, I was never good. I was never a good competitor. I realized that when you compete, there ha there has to be this fire, this like, um, for lack of a better word, like competitiveness. You have to have a drive not to lose, right? And I didn't have it, you know? Like, like if I was in a scramble with a guy and we were both, let's say, on our backs and like someone had to get on top, I was usually not the guy getting on top. I'd be happy to play guard. I get you. So, uh, but yeah, I competed a lot. I, I did the Pan Ams. Uh, which back then, I, th I believe they were called the Pan American Jiu Jitsu Championships. Now they're called the, the Pans, I believe. Mm. Um, I did that tw twice in 2003, 2004. Um, in, in 2004, no, in 2003, I think. No, no, 2004. I gotta say, Andre Gabo competed as a brown belt. All right. Just like destroyed everybody. Yeah. Just like, just insanely destroyed everybody. Um, 
so that that was that was really cool. Um, and then when I went to Brazil, um, I, I got to see Marcelo Garcia fight today in, in the finals, um, uh, which was incredible. Did Not, you get to train in Brazil as well? Yeah, or? I trained in Sao Paulo. One of one of my friends um, who I met in Utah, Brazilian guy Cassio Pita, who I actually still I, I talked to him the other day. Actually, I've known him for a long time. He lives in Indonesia now. He's a surfer, uh, and he was cool. a big snowboarder back in the day. That's why he was in Utah. But, but but he moved back to Brazil. Uh, his father had uh, developed cancer, and and so he went back to to be with him. Yeah. And then this was in two thousand and three, and and in the summer I was like, he was like, bro, you should come visit me. And I was like, okay. I was like, mom, dad, I'm going to Brazil. <laughs> you know, I so I got my passport. Wow. I got my passport done when I was twenty three, and then I went to Brazil. I flew to São Paulo, and stayed there for a month. So not wow. not for very long. Yeah, and I trained at an academy called Compania Paulista, mm. and so there, there were some some good guys there. Some 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 top. There's actually some some really good guys that came out of that school. Um, and so we were training during the week. During on the weekends, we would go to the beach. Uh, the beach in São Paulo is like two hours away. There was a beach called Marazias, just beautiful. The women are beautiful, and just amazing experience. Um, and then the weekend of the Mundiales, we drove from Sao Paulo to Rio and spent the weekend in Rio. And then I competed, lost my first match. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it was horrible. Like, like we were late, basically. Right when we got to the arena and, and showed up, they're like, Morgan, you're going, you're going. And I had to like run and change literally after getting there, change and get on my gear and go fight. Which actually was kind of cool because there was no time to get like nervous and worked up about it. Yeah. I just had to go. Right. Right. And I lost by a sweep, um, and but I, like I, 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 st- I was upset, but I wasn't too upset. Mm. The, the, the guy, I didn't know the rules, so I pulled guard without a grip. The referee stood, <laughs> and the referee stood. Me. Okay, and it was back back before you would get a penalty for that. So the okay. referee stood us up, and then the Brazilian guy pulled guard. That's was <laughs> the Brazilian guy. He pulled guard, and then I start trying to pass, and he puts me in a triangle. Mm. Straight up locks me in a triangle and just like full on locked deep triangle, which I fought out of. Like I fought in there for three minutes and, and I finally got out, um, which to me was like pretty impressive because I, I, I was going to tap and then I like something like the thing I was talking about before, like that kind of drive that you need to be, to be a winner. Yeah. Where you're like, no, I'm not fucking giving up. Like that actually happened. And I was like, fuck this. I'm not tapping. And I grabbed his lapel with, with like a, a four finger inside grip and I forced it in between his teeth. Like, nice. like, like, a, yeah. like a horse bit. And I just, just punched my arm straight down and just, and just split his mouth like this. Oh. And I just forced it on, until he let go of the triangle. And I got out. And I almost passed his guard. And right as, as I was about to, he swept me. And then we played in my guard for the rest of the fight and I lost and that was it. Mm. That was my fight in the world. <laughs> and then after that, we left, we were staying in Copacabana, went out to some nightclub and, you know, with Casio and then this other guy, um, this other guy, what was his name? God, I feel horrible that I can't remember his name right now. He's like a, a, a pretty well-known referee in, in the IBJJF scene. He's got his own academy in California now. And we reconnected after a, a, a long time. Oh, Jesus. Anyway, 
Um, he was a brown belt, cool guy. So it was me, Cassio, and him. And then we were kind of just hanging out in Rio. That's and cool. then I competed, I lost, and then we went back. And it was kind of annoying because they didn't really want to spend all day watching competition, but I did. <laughs> right. I wanted to watch all the black belts. Yeah. You know, and they were like, oh, let's just go in the afternoon when it's the finals. Uh, so I was like, okay. So we went to the beach um, and then showed up when it was the finals. So I watched the, the only one I can really remember was Marcelo versus Teterde. Mm. And I thought for sure Marcelo was going to win because he had just won Abu Dhabi, you know, and, and he, you know, and, and my friends were like, dude, are you serious? Do you think Marcelo is going to beat Teterde? They're like, no fucking way, dude. <laughs> and Ted, sure enough, Teterde tapped him. Right. Wow. You know, it was incredible. Yeah. It was absolutely incredible. Did you feel like um, your perception of jiu-jitsu had changed much in your month in Brazil? No. In fact, when I got there, I felt that I could hang with it with any purple belt that I trained with. Right. You know, and people told me, they were like, you have good jiu-jitsu. Yeah. You know, so that, that that's one thing that, you know, that, that I want to have here too, is I want my guys to be able to go anywhere and hang with someone of the same color belt. Right. I mean, if the guy's a world beater, if, if he's like a world champion, of course not, dude. Mm. You know, but like, I, I never want people to be like, yeah, the, the level at Bangkok Fight Lab is not good. Mm. Right? The guys aren't good. Yeah. You know, they get promoted too fast or whatever. And I don't think you can say that. No. Yeah. About my guys. You yeah. know, I got some some pretty tough white belts, got some, some good blues, some tough purples, you know, and I've never given anyone a brown yet. Um, yeah. Oh. And then, uh, how much um, time were you spending uh, with Pedro, kind of prior to uh, moving out to Bangkok? Was it we we was it um, not so much between that exam period? You were saying like, what are you doing? Oh yeah, when I was in school, I stopped training. Yeah, so I you know I, I didn't didn't see him at all. And in fact, one of the reasons why I wasn't training as much is because I was broke. Because when I went back to school, I quit my job okay. and I had no money. Yeah. And I couldn't afford the the, the gym dues. Mm. Pedro's wife Anne would, you know, I'd show up with my gi and she'd be like, "Morgan, you can't train." Oh man! And I'd be like, I'd "Be like, all right, Anne." And I <laughs> so I would just like walk. I'd go put my gi in the car and I'd come back in and I'd sit on the mat, just watch, just watch. And Pedro yeah. come in and be like, "Morgan, Morgan, my friend, where's your gi?" I'd be like, "Well, Anne said I can't train because I can't afford to pay." And he would see, he'd be like. Morgan, go get your gi. You know, I'd be like, <laughs> sure? and, and, I, you know, and I go get the gi and sneak on the mat. You know? <laughs> Pedro did that for a lot of guys. Wow. You know, he's just a, a, an amazing individual. Yeah. You know? um, he's a but, handsome dude as well. Yeah, know? my mom had a crush on him for <laughs> yeah, sure. He's Mr. Steely Girl. Yeah, yeah. But no, back in the day, no, and all the women here love him too. <laughs> Isn't that right, Tammy? All the women love Pedro here, right? <laughs> um, my my mom had a big crush on him. So when I when I started training, he was younger than me. Oh wow! Right. Wow. So he was like thirty five or thirty six yeah. you know, when I started right. training. Okay. Yeah. You yeah. Know, and, and I'm thirty nine. Yeah, yeah. But so my mom was like, "Wow, he's very handsome, Morgan. <laughs> you know, and he's you know just very, you know, when he finally remembered my name because it took him like six months." <laughs> You know, like he was just like, oh, hey, my friend, you know, and finally he's like, Morgan Perkins. And once he knew my name, I was just like, oh, dude, as a kid, it was just like the best feeling. I exist. Ever. Yes, I exist in your, in your universe. That, that means something. So like I would train when I first started, I was training twice a week, Monday and Wednesday. 
And then when the academy moved from the gymnastics place, Pedro actually opened his own like academy, right? Mm. And, and um, I started training a bit more. I was training anywhere from four to five times a week at that point. Right, and you could train with uh, Tiago as well, was it? No, Tiago didn't start until um, a little bit later. Okay. Right? At this point, I was still like 15 or 16. Tiago would have been like 12 or 11. Maybe okay. he hadn't moved from, right. from Brazil yet, I'm not sure. But, so then I, I started doing privates with Pedro when I was a blue belt. Got my blue belt when I was 16. I think I was 16. Uh, and was it the same test that, that they do nowadays? No, or? you didn't test back then. Okay. He just gave it to you. Right. In fact, I I was supposed to get it sooner. Um, and I, my parents had taken us out of town, either to my grandmother's house or out of, out of the state somewhere. And when I came back, everyone was like, Morgan, where were you on Saturday, man? We, we all got promoted. Oh, no. And it wasn't a joke. And I was just like, I was I was 16. I just started driving. And, and I remember, like, I remember, it like, it was fucking yesterday. I just went outside and got in my car and left. Oh, jeez. But I, but I cried first for, like, 15 minutes. Yeah. I, I wanted it so bad. And they were like, Morgan, you want to I mean, it wasn't, like, it wasn't something where they told you you were getting promoted. You just right. did, you know? Yeah, I was yeah. like, okay, guys, he's getting, yeah. his, he's getting his blue belt. You know, and I had to wait like another four or five months um, to get it. Um, but I did. Yeah. And I got it. And it was great when I got it. What was that feeling like when you got your, your blue belt? It was awesome. You know, I mean, I just, you know, you didn't have to, to test back then. So it was just, it, it felt more like you, you had earned it just by being, yeah, by grinding. And, you know, I, right. You know, nowadays I test for blue and then I give, I promote um, mm. without a test from purple and up. But, but yeah, so I started doing privates with Pedro, um, and that was awesome, incredible. You know, and this was back before he had his first operation, so he was still rolling with everybody. Okay, he used to just toy with me, man. <laughs> I mean, I like I couldn't even fathom like uh, until now what I can do with like some of the kids who train here, where I'm just not even trying, right? And I know they are, yeah. And I wonder if they feel the same way I felt. Mm. You know, they probably do because he could just destroy me i never like there was never a point where i because of the, the the time i took off and stuff i never like got the best of pedro ever right ever. um maybe i could now because i'm because he's a bit older right you know what <laughs> yeah. i mean if i really tried my best but i probably not he probably so fucking up um you know and so the, the private training with him was awesome yeah it was, it was really cool and and then he he had an operation like he had his first knee injury in like 97. Mm. He, he put a guy in a triangle, a really big guy, and the guy kind of just like washed it up and his knee popped. Mm. And it filled up with fluid. And then he had an operation. And then like after that, he, after that he stopped training. Not not stopped training, but he stopped like rolling every, like he used to roll every session. The, the open mat was an hour long with interval training. So it wasn't like roll and then take a break. It was like you roll a one minute break where you're doing push ups and then you go to the next round. Right, jeez. <laughs> you do this for the full hour. Damn. You know? And then after he hurt, he hurt himself, he stopped training. And I remember as a kid, I was thinking, like, God damn, like, he's not training with this anymore. You know? And, and now here I am, like, with my bum knee and I'm hmm. not rolling every open mat anymore. And I'm, like, yeah. I totally get it now. Yeah. And, and, and I, don't, I don't think that Pedro did as much preventative care. As I do, right? You know, because he's had operations on his neck, both shoulders, both knees, 
I think he's had like 12 operations or something like that. Mm. Insane. Wow. Yeah. yeah. Let me move you a bit further down the line. Um, now, now, oh, kind of almost to present day, really. Now you're, um, uh, you know, you're in a, that teaching position and I have been for some time, I guess. Yeah. But did, did you, do you feel there's like a big difference between just being good at jiu-jitsu and then being a good teacher of jiu-jitsu? Is that, was that something you had to learn as well or was that, is that just a part yeah. and parcel? No, I mean, of course, it's not easy to be, I mean, some people are just naturally better communicators, better at breaking things down, describing things, mm. you know, some people have to work really hard at it. When I was in, in junior high school, in high school, they did aptitude tests that, that would meant to like give you an idea of what maybe you should go into as a profession. And whenever I took them, it told me I should be a teacher. And I just fucking hated that. I wanted to just throw out the results. I was like, cause I don't want to be a teacher. I don't want it. I know, no, no. You know, my dad's, my dad's mother, my grandmother, I guess I never met her. She died before I was born. What um, was a teacher, had other teachers in the family. Um, and I find that I, th I, I think I'm a decent teacher of jujitsu at least. And I think other people would, would say that too. Decent. I'm not the best by any means. But yeah, I mean, I like I started teaching when I was a blue belt. Like I, I taught classes at the academy as a blue belt. Right. Right. And nowadays, like you wouldn't even imagine. Like, could you imagine if someone was like, hey, T, can you uh, run, <laughs> run this class for me? You'd be like, whoa, um, like, no way. I'm going to go. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, so I, I had taught. I had taught a lot before even becoming a black belt, mm. right? but I feel like I'm way better than, than I was. Like even in the last three years, uh, I just see things differently when I watch people train. Right now, I think the the next step is being able to impart information to a to a student when they're rolling quickly, where they can understand what I'm saying, like precisely what I'm saying. Mm. For example, if, if I see something. If I see a student, maybe his alignment's wrong, and I'm like, okay, move your hips this way. He might not understand what I'm saying, you know, because maybe I haven't explained it properly or he's not used to that description, right? And then it's too late. Well, one of the most incredible things that I noticed when John Danaher was here with, with Gary Tonin and Nikki Ryan, or when, when Gary had his fight in Bangkok, All right. and Nikki was preparing for his match with Gio Martinez and um, basically was training with, with uh, he did a lot of training with Luke. And, yeah, yeah. and I rolled with him as well. The one thing I noticed about the, the training, Nicky Ryan is incredible, but whenever he was like out of alignment, Danaher would be like, you know, he would like shout out some command and Nicky would immediately react to it and do the right thing. Mm. And, and, and I noticed then it was like, it's not just that Nicky's really good, it's that his coach is so good and Nicky is so good at following his directions that, that he just like, that's why he's so good, Yeah, you know? And that's where I want to be right now. I, and that's what I'm, where I'm trying to get. Mm. I can see what's happening very in depth. I have a deep understanding of it. But can I quickly explain to someone who's fighting what to do the best? Not, I'm not there yet. Yeah. You know, right. not, that, that's what I'm working on right now. So there's just many levels to coaching as well as just knowing technique well not just knowing technique but like how do you say it in the shortest possible way mm. to get the guy to do exactly what you want right right yeah. because you might say do this and then he doesn't understand what you're saying he's like do you mean i move this way or that way right by then it's too late yeah yeah right? so i think that's like the next level 
for me. Mm. Do you think um, everyone should compete like that trains? No. Not at all. Do you think um, there's any uh, values that you get um, or benefits from competing that you don't otherwise get from being on the mat? Oh, just yeah. training? I mean, you'll never know if your jiu-jitsu is like works 100% unless you do it in a competition. Right. Right. And that's not me saying it. Uh, that was something that Nathan Orchard said when, when he was here. Um, there's a level of understanding that, that, that you cannot show unless you can pull it off in a competition, mm. right? You just don't understand it unless you can do it like that. Right. right? And I agree with that at some point, right? Yeah. Um, I've competed a lot. I never did very well. I've never won a, com- actually, I have won a competition. I, I did in Bangkok um, as a brown belt. The only time I've ever got a gold medal. Nice. Right? Um, but I don't think that everyone has to compete. Some people don't want to. Some people get really worked up and like just it, it just like brings out the worst in them. They stress out too much and you know, you should do it. I mean, it, it's good to know like what, how you react under pressure like that. Because it's yeah. different than you could like you cannot prepare like have you cannot have a competition match in the academy here. It just doesn't work like that. You know, you can train hard, you can shark tank, you can shark tank all week. You're not gonna get the same level of adrenaline as you are in a match. Yeah. Right. So, you know, I, I don't think that everyone has to do it, but I recommend that people do it, mm. you know, yeah. at least once just to see what it's like, you know? Yeah. What are the most kind of, um, outside like the ability to defend yourself and stuff like that, what for you is the most, uh, what are some of the most important values that people gain from doing jujitsu? Hmm. I think understanding that like just that there's there's always going to be someone who knows more than you or who's better than you mm. at jujitsu doesn't make them a better person right there's going to be you know there's lots of hero worship in jujitsu you think like this guy's so good he must be a good person it's not true right mm. um, you know so like learning how to distinguish between talent and like a, a good a good person because some of the most talented people are fucking horrible people. Um, you know, that, that, that's an important lesson to learn. You know, and, and just being true to yourself, you know, like I said before, jujitsu is truth. You know, if, if you know it, you know it. If you think you know it, and then all of a sudden you don't know it, it shows you the truth right there, hmm. right? So it's a, it's a great way to find out about yourself, you know? And jujitsu can make you a tougher person. Right. It, it, it may like, there's a difference between having that like competitive killer instinct and being a winner and being a complete pussy like I was when I started and turned into a tough guy, tougher because I like, I smashed me and I dealt with it and I knew what it, what it was like. You know, I wasn't afraid of it anymore, you know? Um, and that's a very valuable lesson that Jesus can teach you how to just be tougher. You know, right. how to deal with pressure and pain and, and not quit because of it you know mm. are, are these things you kind of actively try and distill into your students now or is it just part of no part of I, I mean no I don't want people to feel like they have to be a tough guy 
here. You know what I mean? And when I say a tough guy, I don't mean like, oh, like I'm a tough guy, I'm, you know, picking yeah. on people. But just yeah. someone who's super tough. Mm. You know what I mean? Like someone like Tom. Mm. Tom is a tough fucking dude, man. Yeah. Like he is just tough. But he's also really good at jiu-jitsu. He's getting good, right? And Tom is someone who I would like, yeah, I would want to instill more toughness in him. You know, and I think jujitsu has. But there's some guys where, no, I don't want to see him get hurt. And, and like, you know, and, and if he doesn't want to get smashed and, gra- and ground in, in, into little dust and, and ground into dust, you know, like like I did, he doesn't have to. Yeah. You know, I want guys to feel here. I just want people to feel safe and, and like they have a community and, you know, and we do it all through jujitsu. Right. right. So some people are going to be like competitive and some people not, but we all coexist in this happy Space. Yeah. You know I mean? Speaking of toughness, there, I think it's a, a week or two ago, you mentioned that you, you gave Seth Stone his purple belt, was That's it? That's right. And for people that might not know, uh, Seth Stone uh, was part of uh, Task Unit Bruiser in Battle for Ramadi under, uh, under the command of Jocko Willink. He's another really cool guy. Check out his podcast and all his work. I mean, I listen to Jocko's podcast and I feel like just <laughs> sometimes it makes me feel like, man. <laughs> I am like such a less of a person. Like these, like absolute heroes are on it. I've gone through so much. Um, dude, dude, Seth was like one of the greatest men I ever met in my life. Mm. Um, he was a uh, he was just such a cool guy, man. I, I mean, it, it was six months before we even knew that, that he was a Navy SEAL. Wow, you know, like yeah. no, he just didn't talk about it. You know, you'd ask him like, so "What do you do?" He's like, "Oh, I'm in the Navy." You know, right. he, he was like a surfer, yeah, yeah. like a like a bro, like a blonde haired, like a pretty good looking guy, big, strong guy. You know, he would show up and just be like total. He was like a bro, dude. Mm. I was like, this guy is a, is a total bro, dude. You know, he's like, oh, yeah, bro, I'm in the Navy, you know, and that's all he would say. And he was fucking badass on the mat. He's a blue belt, like a 10 year blue belt or something. Yeah. Or like a six year blue belt and was tapping everybody, you know, had a nasty Kimura just a nasty Kimura. And um, I, I think it was one day, like six months like after he started training with us, you know, someone mentioned something about Jocko's podcast, something they run Jocko's podcast. And so it's like, oh yeah, Jocko, yeah, he's my best friend. And, and then we were like, well, at least I was, I was like, I was like, in my mind, I'm like, well, that means you're a Navy SEAL. <laughs> like, it, it, it cannot be, I mean, I, I put two and two together. Yeah, this yeah. guy's a bad motherfucker like a bad motherfucker yeah. that, and just like so confident and awesome. But then you mean Jocko's your best friend mm. and Jocko's like, he talks about his brothers and all this. I mean, like these are his brothers, right? Yeah. And I, and I was like, okay. So I fucking Googled Seth and it was like two silver stars, you know, like a, a legitimate war hero. Yeah. Like, like and, and I was just like blown away because, and then I asked him, I was like, dude, like, are, are you a Navy SEAL? And he was like, yeah, mm. you know, yeah, I mean, what those guys went through, like the most highly decorated special forces unit in in yeah. in, in Iraq. Um, but yeah, man, Seth was different though. Like, like a lot of these guys, like the the, the movie Sniper. Yeah, right. American Sniper, Chris yeah. Kyle or, or yeah, whatever. Yeah. You know, like a lot of these guys wrote books. Mm. You know, and Seth was like, "Man, I will never write a book. Yeah, ever. You know, yeah." And he's like, "Half the shit that these guys are writing is bullshit." Right. You know, he and he's like, "You know how I know? Because I was there." Mm. He was like, "I was there when all this shit was happening." And like, it didn't happen like the way these guys are saying. Right. You know? Just full on quiet professional. Well, I mean, like he, he, he like lots of life lessons, man. Well, because we, tr- when I was doing basically like one-on-one training with him, like three or four times a week, 
um, to get him ready for, for the purple belt test, which I've never seen anyone do so well on that. Mm. It was incredible. Um, he would give me, you know, we never talked about like war stories yeah. ever. I could have asked him. I'm sure he would have told me. Right. But it was just like, yeah, I don't want to know about that shit, man. It's just too real and like too like, like just scary, you know, mm. but he would tell me other stories. <laughs> just incredible stories, man. He was a great storyteller, had great like life lessons in there. Man, I loved that guy. Yeah. And when I found out he died, it was just horrible. Mm. It was horrible. Um, yeah. So I was really proud to be able to promote someone like that to purple. You know, yeah. He, he, he was my first purple. Yeah. You know? There's something about those kind of people that go through such adversity and it's what initially kind of uh, drew me to yeah, our Royal Marines uh, I wanted to be a part of that which yeah, I guess didn't really work out for me but um, yeah there's just something about those kind of people that, that, like when you're at that level to be able to go through that kind of I think like we mentioned earlier like there's a misnomer about jiu-jitsu like uh, if he's a black belt he must be a good person or something right I think at, at some level going through is, is at least some form maybe not the tightest filter in the world but to go through that kind of adversity and adversity and um being able to strip your ego away and well at least at least feels a little bit of the dickheads out you know <laughs> yeah i mean seth told me that there were a lot of guys not maybe not a lot but certain guys in 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 the teams that like absolutely hated him because he was a, a platoon leader mm, right yeah. so he had men under him and, and he said that a lot of guys fucking hated him like like had like even after they left the military, like had like deep, deep issues uh, against yeah. him. You know, he was the nicest guy. Like I really, but I, I could see him. Like sometimes he would tell stories, and he would get like so intense, mm. and you'd just be like, "Fuck, dude, this guy is like such a badass." Wow. <laughs> I mean, this guy weighed like two hundred and thirty pounds, six foot three, could do ring muscle ups at, at like, like at the CrossFit gym would just be like show up the crossfit which is doing muscle <laughs> down just like a fucking savage yeah and um yeah so he would you know he was uh he was probably one of my favorite people to, to, to just hang out with yeah you know, we, we used to go out and have drinks you know and like you know we went out and had dinner with my wife a few times um he was just such a such a special human being and i've met other navy seals before through jujitsu mm. no one was like that wow no one was like that dude yeah he was, and that, i think that's probably why jocko he was Jocko's best friend, you know? Yeah. And I think Jocko would have said that too. Seth said that Jocko was his best friend. And, and I think that Jocko probably would have said the same thing. Yeah. What a cool um, experience to have and to have known him and stuff. You so know? lucky. Yeah, yeah. So lucky, man. You know, I mean, I mean, you get guys in the U.S. Embassy, you know, like David K. Yeah, yeah. He's another really, really awesome guy, a good friend of mine, you know? So you meet these people who you know aren't going to be here for, for very long. Mm. You know, they become a big part of your life, good friends, and then they're gone. You know, it's, it can be tough. Yeah. It can be tough to, to lose a friend like that. But, and when I say lose, just in terms of like not being able to see them as much. Mm. But that's just part of life, I guess. Yeah. Cool. But, but yeah, that was certainly one of the best, one of the best guys I ever met. For sure. That's awesome, man. You want to keep this going a little bit? We're just over an hour now. Uh, uh, do you want to start wrapping this up? We can start wrapping it up if you don't mind. Cool. I got to, uh, got to be back at about six in the morning. Oh. To do more privates of course. with this guy. Cool. Well, tell me, and um, then just as a last little story about your most memorable uh, belt promotion. Or maybe just actually tell me, unless 
I mean, that brown belt story is pretty cool, actually. But tell me about getting promoted to black belt. Okay. So when I first got involved with this gym, like I didn't, I'm not the founder of the gym. Like I, I'm a founding member, right? But I wasn't, it wasn't my idea. The, the gym's idea was Mark and Tian. You, you've never met Mark, but you've met Tian. Yeah. Um, Tian's a legend. Yeah. And and they they brought me in as as just someone who had money too. They they wanted someone to help invest. I was a brown belt. I hadn't been training that much, but they they brought me in. There was another guy named Richard Cohen who is the owner of the lab, which is why we're called the Bangkok Fight Lab because he had an established gym. And we thought it was a good idea to to ride on his kind of um, whatever you know. Yeah, which was a stupid idea. Actually, it was fucking horrible but but th that was where i kind of got brought in and i was a brown belt at the time and i wasn't that good and then i started thinking to myself like i need to get my black belt you know we had brought in a black belt um a guy called lee livingston who um was from the uk the black belt uh, from the alliance uh, alliance team an mma fighter nice guy he still lives here actually he he, he runs bigfoot bjj now Okay. So we brought him out here and he was teaching for us, but um, I wanted to, to be the, the teacher, you know, but, but we, we knew we needed a black belt first. So after I started training, I was thinking to my, like started training and I was thinking to myself, like, how am I going to do this? Um, you know, I, I had lost contact with a lot of my old training partners. I hadn't talked to Pedro in a long time. So I went back to Utah one summer where um Pedro doesn't live in Utah anymore, right? He lives yeah, in Virginia. Yeah. But the guy, a lot of the original black belts are still there. And there's an academy called Unified Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. Very good level of jiu-jitsu there. Very, very good. John Carlquist and James Gardner are just legends. And um they have one of their students who's an instructor there too, Damon Morgan, is a world champ, is a Nogi world champion. Um Master One hashtag Master One. <laughs> but um, he's still like a legend himself. So it's just an incredible gym. So when I go home to my parents' house, we would go in the summer and we would stay like six weeks. So I would go there. Like when I was a brown belt with zero stripes, I'd go there. And, and I basically told Johnny, I was like, Johnny, like, oh, I want to get my black belt. I don't know how to do it. You know, like, and he was like, well, it's just like, you know, every time you're here, here we'll stripe you up. And then you'll you'll come back and then we'll strap you up and then you can test, you know? So it took three years, you know? And I'd, I'd already been a brown belt for 10 years. Wow. Even though I'd taken six off. Yeah. Right? So four years really of training. But, you know, it was tough. You know, I'd go back and I'd train for six weeks. Johnny would put two stripes on my brown. I'd come back here. One year later, I'd go back, get two stripes, came back. And then in September, no, it was October 2015, I that there was a Pedro Sauer training camp in Utah. And then I was like, can I get my, you know, I fucking had to ask now, which is horrible. Hmm. I was supposed to ask for this shit, but I was like, do you think I can test, you know? Yeah. And they were like, yeah. So I, I flew home by myself, left my wife and kids here, stayed in Utah for three weeks and I got my black belt there. Hmm. So I tested with, um, tested with like seven other guys, but it was just, it was, you know, like I would go back and then I would be a brown belt and there, there'd be guys who started after me who were like second degree black belts. Like had I not stopped, I'd be a fourth degree. Right. I'd be yeah. a fourth degree black belt right now. Um, whatever. 
I, I finally got it, so yeah. it doesn't matter. But the the black belt test um, for Pedro is like the original Elio text, is it? Well, it's, it's it's the Elio Gracie book that that they've is it called the Gracie Way or or, or something? You know, I, sure. I, I, it's it's like a coffee table book, you know, with okay. like glossy photos. Right. It's basically two parts. There's like the, the standing self defense, and then there's the groundwork, and and basically for for the test, you just have to do the entire standing self defense portion. Yeah, that's it. Just self-defense, not against uh, empty hands, knives, sticks, chairs, and mm. guns. Right. Because uh, Pedro was quite big on um, that self just uh, is quite big on that self-defense aspect because Definitely. Elio was, right? Yeah. I mean, he, 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 he says, like, like, I promise Elio, like, when Elio was, like, really, really old and Pedro, mm. when Pedro would go see him in Brazil. He said, I promised Elio that I would, Grandmaster Elio, that, that I would, uh, that I would, when I was testing, I would always do it like this, basically. Yeah. You know? And to be honest with you, if you're a brown belt with four stripes and you're ready to get your black belt, what, what do you need to show? Yeah. What, what technique on the ground? Like, show me how to pass the guard. <laughs> it's like, oh no. <laughs> fuck, I don't know. I, you've, you've stumped me, professor. I don't know. You know, so like, I, I appreciate what he does to try to, you know, keep the, the kind of spirit of the self-defense yeah. alive. Yeah. E even though, you know, and I go through phases where I teach it more often than others. Mm. You know, I haven't been showing a lot of it lately, but I used to show it like every day, but you know, maybe I'll start again soon. Cool. Yeah. All right, Morgan, thank you very much for coming Thanks and doing you. this. Thank you, Randall. Hopefully I'll get to see you in about a year or so when I'm passing back through. Shit, man. I, I hope we're still open. Yeah. Go. Cool. Well, we to, should be. If you end up moving back to the States, I'll have to come visit. Yeah, <laughs> man, come to Unified. I'll show you where it all started. Awesome, man. Cheers. Thanks, bro.